and welcome to Kitty Talks, the podcast that shows you how to build a life in alignment with your soul. I'm your host, Kitty Waters, serial entrepreneur and co-creator of the Network for Transformational Leaders. Each week, I interview top thought leaders that are changing the world. They share their life stories on tips on how you can find your purpose. We all have a gift we can bring to the world. Do you feel dead to life? Like there's more to it, but you don't know where to start. Perhaps you don't fit in and you can't understand why. Are you pushing all the time and getting nowhere? Do you long to finally be sure which is the right path for you? This podcast is sponsored by my Do Your Dharma course. This eight-week online course, self-study, shows you how to find your purpose. The course demystifies the subject of Dharma and shows you that by following your highest excitement, you can unlock your greatest potential and create the life of your dreams. Go to www.kittytalks.com forward slash do your Dharma. Without further ado, let's dive into the next episode. Lewis Crathen is a first for Kitty Talks. He's the first professional sports person that I've ever had on the show. And he, for me, is an amazing example of somebody from a very young age who has literally followed their passions and done what makes them feel alive. In this interview, you're going to hear how Lewis got into kite surfing. He is the British world champion. Um, how he got into kite surfing and how he's followed his instinct and his intuition all his life and how he makes decisions about things. And the other thing we talk about in this interview, which I totally love, is he talks about a mobile phone and how he hates having a mobile phone. But he's a fantastic example of when we do the things that we are passionate about and that we're talented at, life opens up for us. So hello and welcome to Kitty Talks. We share inspirational life stories that empower you to create yours. And I have been dying to get this gentleman on the show for a long time. He is somebody that lives locally to me and he's our first professional sports person that we've had on the show. Um, but Lewis Crathen, who I'm about to introduce you to, is a four times British champion. He's a professional kite surfer and he's the 2016 Vice World Champion. And he's somebody for me who is an amazing example of somebody who lives his life by following his passions. And he's lucky enough, and he'll tell us that story, that he got into kite surfing at a really, really young age. But Lewis, welcome to Kitty Talks. Well, thank you. Thank you very much for having me. <laughs> well, I'm excited about our conversation. We've just had a little bit of um, a preamble before our interview. And I think that you're going to be able to share some great wisdom with our audience. But I would love for you just to set the scene, tell our listeners who you are and what you're doing in the world at the moment. Okay, my name is Lewis Crathen. I'm a professional kite surfer, which to some might be a strange profession, but my job involves competing in competitions. Um, I'm also a commentator and a presenter. I love to speak and present and I also visit schools using kite surfing as a, a tool to engage young people on 
eco matters, the beach, the weather, whatever sort of themes they're doing at school. Kite surfing's really exciting. So interactive assemblies and things like that is what I do in schools. And I'm also a professional coach. So I coach people how to jump higher as well. I, I juggle my career between those four things. How cool. And would you say that those four things are things that you truly are passionate about? Definitely. I couldn't do any of those things if I wasn't passionate about them. In fact, they've all come together to be part of my career by just pure interest. I never started off as anything but a competitor. And then my love for talking and presenting came into it and coaching and visiting schools and talking to young people. It's all come from just being passionate. And do you mind sort of taking us back? Because obviously, um, tell us the story about how you got into kite kite surfing, because I know you've been in it for a very long time and that you, um, you know, started when you were young. Uh, but I'd love for you to explain the story to our audience. Okay. I was born on the, on the beach pretty much here in Worthing. My parents moved down. I think my dad was from Guildford and my mum was from Crawley and they met and moved to Worthing and the house was, you know, about a hundred meters from the seafront. So I grew up with the ocean in my life and I've always been into sports. And then at around 15, I decided to persuade my dad to pick up a windsurfer out of the Friday ad, which were free. Everyone was giving them away because windsurfing has been around a lot longer. The sport has been here since sort of the 70s and 80s there's a lot of old free stuff and that was a real good decision of mine it was a it was a risk I took a risk and persuaded my dad to get this big stuff it was free out the paper learned how to use the power of the wind to move around on the ocean and then I bought my first kite a few years after in 2002-2003 when kite surfing was really booming on the shores of the UK and that was that was that I I stayed really into it ever since. Well, so you were hooked um, on kite surfing from sort of day one? Oh, definitely. Yeah, I couldn't believe. I couldn't get my head around how you could do something for free. That's very far and few between the activities that you can do these days. I mean, as mm -hmm. soon as I left high school, I realised that all the sports you do, you have to pay for. It's all free at high school. I like to tell the kids this, that everything you do at school is free. But as soon as you leave, you have to pay for tennis or football games or badminton mm. any, everything and anything in life is free but with kite surfing once you got the equipment it's still free to do it on the ocean and there's no real um there's no real rules out there and control it's very uh, it's a very free feeling to, to to do a sport like this that's what i love about it and obviously where you grew up worthing happens to be is it the british um well, you were explaining to me that it's an amazing place for kite surfing. It's probably one of the best in Britain. Well, it's become the kite surfing capital of the country due to a number of things. Um, first and foremost, it's quality of wind. It's a very windy place. It's known as Windy Worthing, <laughs> as you might know as well yeah. from living in some fun. But it's Windy Worthing. So that's the number one thing we need as kite surfers is good wind. We don't need big waves which is the common misconception you know people often think that it's better down in Cornwall or somewhere like that but that's just quality of waves we need wind strength and we don't need the waves to jump either they help us but we just need good wind and a surface of water and then 
as for kite surfers, what we really love is good access to the beach. So mm. Worthing has great free parking all the way along and a big grass green. We've got a good beginner spot in Lansing. We've we've just got a great town here, a good access to the ocean and good wind quality, and that really can do wonders for for a location when when kite surfing come about. You know, it, it went from five kite surfers on the water to you know, I think on the biggest days here, I've seen a hundred kites in the air. It's really special. And talk us through, because obviously, you know, kite surfing was a hobby up until, um, well, for quite a few years. And and talk us through the kind of transition into, in your own mindset about when you knew you could make it a career. When, when I knew I could make it a career, I think I didn't focus too much on on that. I mean, I had my parents when I was living at home who were naturally worried that I was you know trying to do something for a job that wasn't going to pay as well as a normal trade-like job. I had two brothers working very um, sort of regular-ish jobs and I was the odd one out saying I want to be a kite surfer and I, I never worried too much about the moment where I thought right this is really my job or not. I just I just kept on kite surfing. That's basically the answer. I went to college for two years, not because I wanted to study college, but it was the best option to give myself more time to practice kite surfing. I didn't fancy going to work Monday to Friday straight after high school. So I thought, right, how can I kite surf more? I went to college and through that, I learned two wonderful skills. I learned photography and web design and IT. Just by chance, I chose those things. Mm. And they've really helped me in my life now, actually, those things I learned at, at school. But basically, I, I actually extended to three years of college. My third year, I was part-time at college. I think I was doing four and a half hours a week. But I told my, I told a little white lie to my parents and said I was full-time. So they didn't really look into it. And I was quite, <laughs> I think, all the time. I, I, engin- I engineered my life so that I could, as much as possible, do the thing I love, which is quite a difficult thing to do but it was I was just obsessed with kite surfing so before long it was only a couple of years that my previous sports experience and background helped me I I learned loads off springboards and diving boards and I knew how to be upside down on I was always the kid on bouncy castles as a kid that your parents were worried was going to break their neck or something you know so kite surfing really helped me um, develop into uh, sort of an athlete with all those skills and I'd say there wasn't one moment where I thought, right, this is my job now. It's always felt like it's just been something I love to do. And now I suppose I sit here 10, 13 years on and it, it is my job, but it's never felt that way. It's my passion first and foremost. Hmm. But that must have been quite tricky because obviously I think it isn't the way we're educated that you can, you know, if you think about a traditional schooling we go to school and we get educated, you know, your parents and everybody else's parents have been educated in such a way that go to school, get good grades and then get a good job. So it must have been quite difficult because obviously, like you said, you just wanted to do what you loved. But obviously, and you know, understandably, so your parents probably want to protect you. Um, but how did you how did you get around that? How did you in your own head? Um, it's a good question. And it's one that I often feel is um things are a bit wrong sometimes in schools of really forcing that one way to do things style approach but I think naturally as a kid I mean I'm into football I must have watched so many football games where these guys were on tv 
playing football is their job. There's so many instances, not just football, in your life that you meet people that are doing things they love to do and you might think, oh, how are they, how are they doing that? That's not possible. But they are all around you in your life. And whether you choose to pay attention to that or not is, is maybe the thing that really stands out for you. And I did notice that. I mean, I was obviously obsessed with kite surfing. That was all I wanted to do. But mm. I was convinced that I wasn't meant to be doing something I didn't enjoy. Maybe it was just that, that I didn't just accept, right, I've got to do. I mean, I did do some hard part-time jobs to know that. And I think that's important also to mention is that yeah, unless you are doing things you don't want to do. My dad always said to me, sometimes you have to do things that you don't want to do. And I laid flooring all around Wembley floor, you know, thousands and tens of thousands of pieces for 48 hour shifts every now and then whilst to support my kite surfing. It was those mm-hmm. moments where I realised, ironically, that moment at Wembley Stadium where the best of the British football players would play football at the time I was British champion, really struggling to make uh, a living as a kite surfer that I was like, wow, this is this is unfair. I'm here in this place, but I, I really, I really think that I can, I can do it. You need those moments. I think, I think you're right, though. I think you need those moments of perspective as well. Like, you know, one of the things that we are teaching, I suppose, with this podcast is we interview people like yourself who have really followed their passions, and they're not taking the traditional path. Actually, they're people that are forging their own path. And that in itself, I think, is difficult because I think you and I were talking before we came on air and you were saying, you know, it's diff- for you, you're kind of, it's not like there's been someone who's been there and done what you're doing. So it's almost like you have to sort of develop that instinct and trust with yourself that you'll go in the right direction and that things are going to work. Definitely. And I think that in all instances of life, for every person individually, how many times you must have been in a position where you're really worried about something in life and then a week later, two weeks later, that worry is gone. There's either a new one or you're thinking about something else. It's this constant stages that you, once you get through them and they come again, you become a bit more experienced than, as we were talking about before the show, is the trust element to trusting that you will get through that moment and find a positive solution and on to the next one and the more those things leak up after a while you almost become autopilot to it you just let it flow and take its direction and if you're positive about it and had good experiences being that way in the past then it it naturally takes its course and that's certainly my ethos of life Mm. and that's a wonderful ethos of life and I suppose can you kind of give us you know for somebody listening to this who has a passion who has a dream um what advice would you have for them because you know like you said I think there's it isn't always plain sailing I think that's the other thing we should you know be honest about because you were saying that you were working two jobs but at the same time it was the passion for the kite surfing that kind of got you through and that you know you start to develop that trust I would say that remaining passionate number one is if there's no passion you won't be able to do it you know but if you're really passionate about doing something, possibly don't listen to the people that say that you can't do it. There's so many people in life that do not believe in anything but the traditional way of working really hard in a career you don't enjoy so much. And that's the way. And it's listening to the positive people that I think is really helpful. And everybody has that 
small network around them and the mastermind group that are your closest people and that will talk positively about it but just not accepting that 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 you're not meant to be doing something you love it's it is so possible to do it and surround yourself with those people every day on a daily basis when you come into contact with someone doing something they love to do for their work speak to them see how they did it possibly but it's there's there's your way in life we talk about the journey of the traditional journey every single person has their own individual journey and I think you need to remember that it is your journey and your way that you want to do things but staying passionate is my number one it keeps coming back to that that if you're if the passion's not there that would be Mm. my worry if the passion's not there for my kite surfing which it will never not be there I know that that's not what I'm meant to do but it carries Mm. me through whilst it is Mm, absolutely I think that's really good advice because I think when you're doing something that you love even when you hit the turbulent times that passion kind of drives and carries you through definitely like I go through two or three weeks with no wind and get very immersed in the world that's that I'm on the land as we say mm. and then suddenly I just have one kite surf session and actually partaking in the thing I love fixes everything but I just want to go back on what we're saying mm. about how we spoke a little bit about the traditional way in schools. Mm. I very much remember being at school and having the careers officer speak to me. And that was quite a worrying time when they almost sit you in an office. And the careers officer did all my questions and was like, right, you're going to be a landscape gardener, you know. And I wasn't actually, I was like, oh, that's not bad. I I just kept saying (laughs) I want to be outside. My thing was to be outside. And I think that can put a lot of pressure on young people. So any of the young people that might be listening, mm-hmm. that school isn't designed to present you with a job when you leave at 16 or 17 or 18, even university. I have friends that, so many friends that went to university mm-hmm. and studied things and they work in completely different environments in their life now. These are just tools and things you learn as you go through school that you can use in other aspects of your life. It's not, you're not putting you know, it felt to me at school like I was put in a box and that's what mm. I would do. Even if I cho- when I chose my options, it was like, right, you're choosing those options, that will lead to this. That isn't the case at mm. all. Mm. Yeah, and it's fascinating, actually, Lewis, because I've interviewed uh, over 100, and 100 people now. And I interviewed this professional ballerina the other day. And she, similar to you, got into um, being a ballerina at a very young age, totally her passion. Um and she's now 20 and she's created this online business um, of basically it's become um, her passions are uh, dance and also holistic health. And she's kind of combined everything she's loved. And her mindset is always, I just do what I love and I go after what I really love. And she doesn't have any kind of blocks in the way. Um, mm. And I think it's really a real testament to actually what we can do when we break out of that traditional model um, and follow what feels right for us but it takes guts because like you said I think schools especially can influence and like you said you have to kind of talk to your uh, careers advisor and yeah that was quite worrying you know like at mm. that age to be to not be thinking all I wanted to do at school and I think everyone's passions start at school or being a tr- from children as a child you have the most ultimate freedom that you will ever have and it's something I look at in awe every child I see doing things they don't have phones and internet and distractions and they're just fully immersed in the planet and that's where your every human's passions start I believe and if 
the closer you can stay to those is the closer that you'll stay sort of true to the things that you love and I'm sure like you might agree as well Kitty that I mean you're doing something you love as well this my life doesn't feel like work I don't Mm. think oh Monday that whole thing of Monday work I mean of course there's hard days that I really am working hard but I'm never like oh I hate work you know like and that's um that's a life-changing thing Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. And for me, sometimes it's really funny because I, I come from that ingrained work corporate environment. I still pinch myself sometimes now because I think I need to be working harder. And it's actually, well, no, this is my work. This is what I do. Um, but it's yeah. like, almost like I'm still trying to let go of the conditioning almost, I suppose. Would you say that possibly the longer that you're doing something you don't love as you grow up or in, in your work life, the harder it is to, to make a change then? I think what tends to happen for human beings is we tend to get stuff, you know, like when, you, like when you're a kid, for example, you don't have that stuff because you haven't, you know, developed their fears or their negative beliefs. And, you know, this is what I witnessed with this ballerina. Um, whereas when we get older, we have that fear, oh, you know, we can't make, we can't do what we love. We can't make it work. Um, we have more baggage, I suppose, which we have to sort of yeah. put down before we can go after what it is that we're supposed to do. Yeah, I'd agree with that. But talk to me about phones, because you just mentioned it then. You said that, and I really like that conversation, because at the moment there's so much comparison that goes on with teenagers, with kids, because they're in this internet world. Like, you don't have a phone, you said to me, which is pretty cool. no. What's, your um, What's the reason? <laughs> I never get to talk about this. It's quite lovely because my partners, obviously, I have a, a girlfriend that's actually moved from South Africa from Cape Town to be with me in Worthing. And so I haven't had a, a mobile phone for two years. I've not had one. I've always been that guy that had the old little Nokia plastic <laughs> £10 one with buttons that I'm convinced I can type a text message quicker than anyone with a smartphone but I it was the smartphone movement that never grabbed me I don't I really repel I re, repelled them completely because of their one day battery life and how much they were trying to do the, the simple old phones were like my cutoff point where they were great and they worked and then I funny enough my little old Nokia bounced out the van and fell, fell down a drain I mean that must be a drain every 50 meters on the beach when it went plopped down the drain it was funny because it was their 10 pounds <laughs> replaced and I wasn't bothered and I was two months away from my winter trip to Cape Town where I spent three months in Cape Town it's January February March it's very cold in England and I thought to myself why do I have to have a phone I really thought hard about it and it really ate away at me, this whole thing that pe- people want you to have a phone for selfish reasons because they want to get hold of you when they want. Mm-hmm. So I pushed it as far as I could with my partner, who at that point was really not so happy. that I, I had two months to get to Cape Town. And I know Cape Town, you don't need a phone. Everyone's kite surfing. It's like this magical place where you, you, you all seem to know where to go because of the wind and weather. And I thought, if I can get to Cape Town, I, I just had a plan in my head to explore the idea of whether or not I could get out of having a phone. Because it's just crazy to me that we sped so long without them. And then now 
everyone's got to have one. Now, I remember it was the halfway stage of my life that the internet and phones came out. I feel very fortunate that mm. I have experienced half without. my life with and with, yeah, so it was maybe just a bit over half now. I'm 33. It was 16 when I was at high school and the internet came out and I mm. loved it. I was It was so amazing and there was a real pureness about it. It was about people wanting to connect further around the world and that was all it was about and nowadays I really feel it's become a bit more sinister and a bit more evil almost it's very mm. advertisement related you can't play a game on an Following iPad without mind. it being money yeah and I just I, I, I spend a lot of time looking around in the daytime I walk around and I look at what's going on and I feel that people are really missing out mm. by staring down mm. at their phones and I've and the the temptation to do that is so so overwhelmingly tempting that I felt that I've got one chance to get out of that I'm not saying I'm gonna have no phone the rest of my life when I have a family one day and you know I probably will have to go down that route but I found a way where I could just get out for now and I don't ever feel distracted I know ne- I'm never distracted from my task that I'm doing and I feel mm-hmm. so much more relaxed and better and I I genuinely feel my partner's been great with this I think she has accepted that I'm a better person for it and because of that I can be better for everybody else I do my work on my emails and my computer I can ring people's mobiles if I really need to off Skype and I have a an iPad I suppose this would be the closest thing to my phone that you (laughs) say it is it has a data sim in it and I can send an eye message or do a FaceTime chat. Okay. But I feel more completely more than anything that like I'm in control now. And it's mm-hmm. such an amazing feeling that I I drive off down the road and I have a chat a task to do and nobody distracts me from what I'm doing. So I feel very present. I think that's my favorite word is that mm-hmm. being present I think is a very valuable asset in life. And that way I can be as present as I can be. Mm-hmm. And it just means that your energy is so much more, it's so much stronger because like you said, you're not dissipating your energy by dipping into your phone every two. Apparently average person checks their phone 267 times a day. Yeah. Bonkers. And I don't think people go out of their way to to want to do that. It's just this, it's the the design of it and the apps and the social media. It's very, it's, I, I really believe it's one of the biggest, diseases for humans in the world right now what it's doing to people and how it's making them feel and every time you look at an app or social media on there everything posted on there is somebody else having a great time and what I think that can do for mental health and things like that is yeah it's crazy it's crazy it all nearly all the time you have a little look in there you get brought down yeah. so we have a, a policy me and my partner that we don't have any mobile phones or iPads in the bedroom. Yeah, that, is for our re- that is for going to bed. And I'll be completely honest, there's times where we don't quite stick to it and then we're like, oh, we need to go back to that. You know, we're not perfect, but we really try to enforce this rule of that we read a book before bed. Mm. And, and it, just, it just makes life so much nicer. We go to bed amazingly like that. I know the difference. And then if I decide to watch a bit of football, and something, I don't sleep as well. It's very... Mm. Um, clear the differences of it Mm, absolutely and one of the messages we promote on this podcast Lewis is very much that everybody has their own dharma they're on their own path their own journey 
And I think you're right with the advent of social media, everyone's in this world of comparison um, and it makes people feel like shit because, you know, you're, yeah. people are posting inauthentically or, you know, all the, just the good stuff that's happening in their life. And yeah, naturally. People get taken out of their own lane, you know, kind of you want to focus on your own passion, your own vision and your own path and not necessarily get dragged into other people's stuff. Yeah. So one other question I'd love to ask you as well is because my background, Lewis, I studied at a concept called Dharma, which is um, comes from the Vedas, it's the Vedic texts. So it's a very, it's almost like the Indian version of the Bible. Um, okay. And the subject of Dharma, basically Dharma is when you do your Dharma, you are taking the path of right action for you and the planet. So the idea is in the Dharmic text, they stipulate that you are following your passions and you have unique gifts and talents that you tap into and you tune into. And when you use those unique talents and you follow your passions, it's kind of life opens up for you and you experience this sort of series of synchronicities. And it's the way everybody should be living actually on the planet. Um, and of course, I would say as much as 95% of people aren't doing that. They're just kind of surviving. But I wondered if you'd have any had any examples of synchronicities where, you know, you're like, oh, wow, well, how did that happen? Or, you know, people turn up at the right time. Or I just wondered if you have experienced what, what a word called flow in your life. Massively. And I'm almost sitting here wondering how I haven't heard so much about Dharma with the way you just described it. It sounds absolutely beautiful and probably this is a great moment to to say there is one of those moments so I could pick a number of recent moments but right now I'm having one talking to you where I wasn't so sure what we'd be talking about today I knew we were going to do a great podcast but by you mentioning the Dharma and how beautiful that just sounded to me I know that that's now something I want to go and look into straight after this chat so that that these moments of flow that you speak of happen on such a mm. daily basis mm. for me where, yeah, so yesterday I had a, a meeting with a lady about um, some, she's doing some coastal regeneration stuff around West Sussex. And my mindset was, oh, I don't know how this is going to turn out, but I should, I should go to it. I think something might come. And then I woke up, I was really tired. I was like, oh, can I do all this meeting today? But I committed and went to the meeting. But before the meeting, I'd been to the gym and I'd, I had a bit of a break at the gym lately. I'm trying to train back up my events. And I get a great feeling from coming out of the gym because I've worked on myself for a period of time. And it's very, um, it's a very good feeling. And straight away from that, I went to have this meeting with her. I had an incredible one-hour chat with her. She was a lovely woman. Loads of opportunities came from it. And it was definitely, I left that meeting. And I thought that has definitely been linked to my my self help in the morning going to the gym you know there's so many things are linked like that and it's you almost become a magnet when you're in a mm -hmm. good mood you magnetize all of these great opportunities and feelings I think the best way to think of it is when you're in a bad mood everything needs to go wrong everybody must have experienced that when you're walking down the stairs and your bag snags on the door and then you shut something in the car door and when your mindset is in this negative mood you attract all the negatives but when you're in a positive place it's it goes one thing to the next and to, to answer your question yes I very frequently have moments where I reflect on them too I don't let them pass I think 
that has definitely been a great moment because of this has happened. It's almost slightly related to karma. I don't know, but it's the flow of things is is definitely a big factor of my life. Mm. One of the um, areas I've been really exploring, Lewis, is around, it's called an emotional vibrational scale. And so like you talk about when you're down in the dumps or you're depressed, or you, you actually are a lower vibration, lower um, level of vibration. And of course, what you put out, you get back. So um, yeah. joy and passion are, and gratitude actually, are some of the highest level emotions that we can have as a human being so when you're constantly in gratitude or just joy or loving your life or you're doing what you're passionate about you naturally vibrate at a higher level and of course that is attracted back to you um so that's kind of one of the ethos of what we're doing here is by getting everyone to do what they're passionate about we're kind of having a positive impact on those around us well that's that's very similar and in fact we've probably come together this way actually on this chat today Mm, beautiful oh well thank you so much for joining us and for me you are a, a wonderful example of a human being who is just naturally innately going after what they want in life and following their passions and like you said I love the fact that you put that mobile phone down because you just want to be in the moment and present and I think you're a great example for our listeners you know that what you can achieve when you trust and you believe um so thank you I really appreciate you coming on I knew it was going to be a good conversation but you're the first professional sports person we've had on the show so I just thought it would be a great kind of perspective Oh, wow. And thank you for my part as well. It's been a pleasure to wake up on a beautiful day. There's not a cloud in the sky, which is obviously part of the flow today. And it was meant to be that I chatted with you. I've taken a lot from this as well. And I will definitely be looking at Dharma after this chat as well. Excellent. We will see you again next week on Kitty Talks with another amazing guest. Bye-bye. So how cool was that chat with Lewis? Like, he's an amazing guy. He's the British Tour Champion of Kiteboarding, British Kite Surfing Champion 2006, 2007, 2008. He's jumped Brighton Pier. He's jumped Worthing Pier. And he's just doing the things that totally come naturally to him, the things that he totally loves. And I know you will have got a lot out of this interview, but his attitude towards life is really, really fantastic. And he's not willing to not do the things that he loves because kite surfing makes him feel so alive. Why would he not do that? So I'd love to hear your takeaways. What did you get from this interview? What have you seen about your own journey, your own dharma? If you haven't already, come and join our free Facebook community on Facebook. Follow me on Instagram, kitty underscore talks.com. And we will see you next week with an amazing guest. This podcast was sponsored by my Do Your Dharma course. Create a life so good that you pinch yourself. This eight-week online course demystifies dharma and shows you how to tune in to why you're really here. Go to www.kittytalks.com forward slash do your dharma.